Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are continually getting messier and messier in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to continue to say thanks to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way toward our goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. Also, let them know about our newest announcement, the Hall of Tyrannus. We're really excited about this new opportunity to disciple reformers for the CRCNA. If you'd like more information on this, head on over to themessyreformation.com and look for the Hall of Tyrannus. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Mark Van Dyke. Maybe in some more traditional context, there's too much of that second shepherd's voice uh, where there's a lot of warding off of wolves and there's not enough comforting of sheep. Of course, that I would say that's one of the errors of somebody like John MacArthur, who um is very serious all the time. You know, can you imagine John MacArthur saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest, rest for your weary souls. You know, that's the voice of, of a good shepherd, a good minister. Um, and, and so a lot of theologically conservative churches might might be lacking in that, that first voice. But overall, um, I think in the Christian Reformed Church, there's been a hesitancy to, uh, to warn the wolves. Um, to uh, to call out error, um, like I said in Malachi two, to turn people from iniquity. Um, that's the role of of the priest in, in the Old Testament. It's the role of the minister. Like in again Titus, what Calvin is commenting on is the the role of the elder to encourage those in the truth and to refute those who oppose it. And so those are the two voices that that Calvin refers to. Um, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say those those types of pastors are, are false preachers, but I would say they're probably often going the safe route. And, and so the, the comforting route um, is, is often the safe route instead of, in some cases, saying, here's how to spot a false teacher. Um, here is uh, how to, uh, to root out sin in your life, to do that, that work of weeding that makes a garden healthy. Um, the John 15, you know, um, as, as, the Lord trims the branches that we're going to do that work in community and in, in a church. And, and that's work is even going to be done in part through the preaching of the word. Um, sometimes I'm discouraged by what I would call very vanilla preaching in the Christian reform church, um, which uh, points people to some good truths and, and uses the Bible, but is never 
challenging um, where people would, and I, I, I don't have any one in particular, I guess, when I say this, but, you know, people would go to church and they would pretty, pretty much know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> in a lot of Christian Reformed churches, I would guess, you know, we're going to go, we're going to sing some songs, the music will be nice, and I'll be encouraged, and I'll go on my way. Um, I, I sometimes hope that people would come to to Almond Valley, and they're not, they don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, it could be the voice of of the shepherd who says, "Come to me, and 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 I'll I'll give you rest." There's there's grace in Christ. There's life in Christ. Come, sinners, poor and needy. Um, bruised and broken by the fall, you don't come to this place. But there are going to be those Sundays, not every Sunday, of course, where we get really serious about sin, the sin that's in our hearts and the sin that's in the world. And we talk about it, frankly, in the way that the Bible does. And so that's always what I'm kind of hoping for more of in the Christian Reformed Church. And and I must say, I I don't think I was trained to preach that way. Um, I was trained to preach in a way with a lot of creativity um, with a lot of um, maybe nuance and, and not as much biblical declaration of what is good and what is true and what is what is useful for building up, but also what is sort of a rebuke that is going to be there in a sermon when the text requires it. Yeah, I would 100% agree. Um, I, I remember the, the image that I was repeatedly given um, in my preaching classes at at seminary of well, your people are just coming into this, into your, into your service. They're just beat down. They're weary. They're, they're exhausted and you need to encourage them. That's, that's your job. Hmm. And I remember thinking, yes, some of them are, and some of them just to be blunt, need a swift kick in the pants. And, uh, and like you have to, as a preacher, you have to try to balance all of that, that, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I don't remember who it was. I, I remember, I, so I, I've done a lot of uh, taking a lot of preaching classes over the years. And I don't remember who I heard it from, but they had said to, to try to help balance that as a preacher so that, because I think we all have our tendency, like some people have a tendency to just be the soft encourager. And, and some people have like the John MacArthur, like I'm going <laughs> to whack you over the head. Right. And somebody said to try to balance that, um, a good exegetical sermon not only exposits the text, but exposits the tone of the text. Oh yeah. And I thought that's, that was, that has been really helpful for me. Um, And so when you, when you're going to preach a a sermon that's saying, you like come to me all who are weary and and heavy laden, you don't say, are you going to come to Jesus? I mean, come on, why are you, you know, you're, you're going to preach that with the tone of saying, come to me all who are heavy laden. But, but then when you're preaching in Titus and he says, you know, all those, all those Cretans are lazy gluttons. They need to be silenced. You don't say, Hmm. you don't preach that soft. You have to preach that hard with a little bit of an edge where people are going to get maybe uncomfortable about what you're saying because they're just not quite used to the pastor talking that way. And and that's okay. Um, But, and Hmm. so, yeah, that's been helpful for me because I think, I don't know. It depends on the day because the, the tendency is, is you're right. The tendency is to be soft and encouraging because nobody's going to yell at you if you encourage them. Right. So you can get up. I can encourage people every yeah. Sunday, make them feel good about, about and say, Jesus is going to walk you through the Valley of the shadow of the death. He's going to be there. His rod, his staff is going to protect you. And everybody's like, Oh, I feel so much better. And nobody's going to yell at you for that sermon. 
But if you stand up and you say, if you're living this way, you're disobeying God and you're on the path toward destruction, um, then people start to get angry. And so our tendency is to kind of take that easy path of, of encouragement and, uh, and, and skip the, skip the correction and rebuke. Yeah. Well, and, and two things really come to mind there. Um, the first is that it's actually refreshing to receive a loving rebuke. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, in a lot of the talk about human sexuality through Synod 2022, there was the implicit assumption that rebuke is unloving and that rebuke will just knock people down. It's sort of rebuke um, and uh, the call to repentance is seen almost as the angry dad who rolls up the newspaper and smacks the dog on the nose with with it when it does some a bad thing. That, that's sort of the the mental image a lot of people have of a serious sermon or a, a sermon where there is some rebuke. Um, and that's that's just not biblical repentance and, and rebuke. Um, and so I think that comes to mind is that there can be actually a refreshment. I've been refreshed. I know you've talked about this in other podcast episodes where it, it's very life-giving, very encouraging for somebody to come forward to me and say, here's how I heard that, you know, in a sermon, for example. And I don't know if it's what you were getting at, but I think the sermon maybe went off the rails for a few moments in that spot because that's how me and probably a lot of other people were hearing what you were referring to. And so, uh, you know, there, there was a time where that happened for me and, and uh, somebody really helped me see something clearly and rebuked me for something that I had said. And I, I actually just wept tears of joy that somebody would have the courage to, to come forward and try to help me in that way. And they named it really clearly for me. And so there was a huge weight that was lifted off me. It's like, I know that wasn't quite what it should have been. And this person really named that for me. And so I'm like, thank you. And this was an an older Dutch lady in my church. And so, you know, I'm crying there in her her living room and we're talking about it. And and she's like, take some cookies. You know, she sort of shoves cookies in my face because, you know, uh, us um, sort of Northwestern European types are not all that good with emotions. Sometimes I'm pretty emotional um, in my preaching and in my prayers and sometimes in my visiting. Um, but that, that was loving to me for her to say, here's how I heard that. And, and I don't think it was quite right. And so I actually um, had to do the work of public apology and so forth. And, and so that's, that's one thing that comes to mind as you describe it, but the other is just the value of expository preaching. And so um, if somebody is, is fearful of, having only one of those shepherd voices, the answer has got to be expository preaching, I think, where you're going to be forced to to preach through passages that get really serious about sin. And um, I don't know a lot about the lectionary, so maybe I I should, should withhold judgment of it, but my perception of the lectionary is that you're probably not going to get as many of those God hates divorce passages and, um, um, the list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, um, the the description of of hell and revelation. Um, you're not probably again. I'm maybe speaking from ignorance, but you're probably not going to be as pushed into some of those very serious um, wrath of God passages, um, law passages, as you are maybe a little bit more towards Jesus walked on water, um, you know, parable type passages that. Uh, that can bend towards the comfort, which we need every day, um, without, while withholding 
that, uh, that challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I've had more than once where I've been like, Oh, I think this book is going to be a good book to walk our church through. And so we start preaching through it. Then I get to a passage and I was like, Oh, yeah. crud, I forgot this one was in there. <laughs> and now yeah, I'm like, yeah. now I got to preach on great. it. It's great. And yeah. people love, you know, what I find is um, I preached all the way through Mark and that includes a sermon on divorce. And there's a lot of divorced people in our church. And um, of, of all the sermons I've ever preached, um, that would be in the top five in terms of the feedback that I got, which was positive, where people, again, there, there might have been a little bit in the dark. Was my divorce sinful? Was my divorce allowed by um, by the scriptures, a lot of people have a more Catholic understanding of that in the Reformed Church still, where um, absolutely under no circumstance should divorce ever happen. A lot of people who grew up in the CRC still think that way. And so people are living with guilt for all these years because um, they never really heard the truth of what of what um, Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark about divorce. And so that's just an example of how it can be refreshing and uplifting to have those serious you know, um, come to Jesus types of sermons. Yeah. I'll, I'll just, uh, just piggyback right on that. I, I took a break from some expository preaching and did a a more of a topical series on human sexuality, Mm -hmm. a a long one. We did like a 20 part series on human sexuality and, uh, and the sermon, I, and I've got a lot of people in my church who are also divorced and, and, uh, and so, and I was started, I had the sermon on divorce and I went into that one with kind of fear and trepidation thinking this is the one where I'm probably going to step on so many toes. And, uh, and I came out of that and and I preached a really strong message on, on divorce and, uh, and I got done and I had tons of people come up to me weeping afterwards, thanking me for that sermon um, because mm-hmm. of the, the way that it, they, those truths had helped them during difficulties in their marriages, the way, I mean, it was, I, I had no negative feedback, which was a surprising. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. had people coming up to me repeatedly saying, thank you for preaching that, um, that, that helped me. So, um, you know, some of those sermons that we go into thinking we're going to get a lot of anger and feedback again, God's word is powerful. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and we believe that the spirit's the one doing the work, um, in and through our preaching. And so that that's always helpful. Yeah. And, um, and so even, um, Looking forward in the the Christian Reformed Church too, I think it's expository preaching isn't the silver bullet, but it is uh, reflective of the kind of solution I think that we need, which is just an unashamed proclamation of God's word, all of it. Um, And what that will end up doing is uh, guarding us from a lot of errors. Uh, For example, I think that probably in both camps in the traditional camp and in the more progressive camp, there's a lot of preaching to the choir that happens in the Christian reformed church um, where people get together maybe on Sunday or in articles or whatever, and can just sort of pat themselves on the back and look afar at, at, at those other people who are different than us away from us. Um, and, and kind of look down on them where, whereas when we go through passages, for example, um, social justice, um, our traditional churches need to be encouraged to care for the poor. And that's not just a political issue. It's not just something that is even a fringe topic in Jesus' ministry. Um, When we're preaching in an expository way, we're going to get to those passages where Jesus says, if you didn't care for the poor, if you didn't feed the hungry, if you didn't clothe the naked, if you didn't welcome the foreigner, you never knew me. 
And so um, I think that that preaching will end up challenging people in certainly uh, traditional conservative context, but it, it hopefully would also do the same thing for um, for those in a more progressive context where there might be a little bit of hesitancy to uh, maybe because of a distaste for evangelicalism to call people to faith in Christ, to conversion, to to leave the former life behind, to be a new creation. There's going to be those passages passages in John where, you know, I have written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God. Um, and uh, expository preaching and going through the whole breadth of scripture is going to guard us against a lot of those extremes, I would say, that that we need to be guarded against in the Christian Reformed Church in, in all areas. Yeah, amen. I want to I wanna say one more thing, and then I want to move on. Um, but when, as you were talking, I was thinking of another temptation that we have as pastors and as preachers um, when we're preaching about um, those hard sin passages. Um, we have a tendency to preach about the sins of those people yeah. out there and not about our own sin, but, or even the sins of our congregation. And so we can get up and thunder mightily about the sins of all of the progressives out there or whatever. And, uh, and we feel like we've done a good work and yet we haven't actually preached to our church and addressed the the sins of our own heart and the sins of our own congregation. And so I think that's important for us to be able to, to, recognize that that's not that's not a helpful thing either to just keep pointing the finger out look at all those people out there um the goal is to preach look at us and what do we need to repent from and and rest in christ in yeah and um you know and i'm I'm sure that a lot of the listeners to this podcast are of a more traditional um for lack of a better term theologically conservative position and so you know to, to put a very fine point on it um so that I wouldn't be accused of, of vanilla examples here, I would say, um, you know, we have a lot of people in our churches who are far more devoted to Fox News than they are to the word of God. Yeah. Like just saying it plainly, um, yeah. you know, three, four hours a day of Fox News, of Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity and, and Gutfeld and all of these others. And those are the voices who are shaping their hearts. Those are the voices who are shaping their minds and how they think about the world, even at times how they think about the church and what the church is called to do. And so, um, you know, just just challenging people to to put it down, to turn it off um, in some some pretty pointed ways and to to go the better way, to go uh, the way of Christ. That that doesn't mean those things are necessarily mutually exclusive, um, that somebody could perhaps turn on Fox News or, or whatever uh, news they like for a little while, um, but it does mean that we as pastors need to be aware of of the voices that we're listening to. And again, that was in my my sermon on Malachi two yesterday, where um, the, the spiritual influencers are they living in awe of the Lord? Are they turning people from iniquity? Are they they uh, fearing God and and just delighting in His gracious covenant with us through Christ? Or are those voices really filling our minds with toxic? Um, in for, with with toxic attitudes, with anger, um, with really no solutions, but just a lot of pointing out all the problems, you know, with Democrats or with progressives or whatever else. Um, so I think as as ministers in more traditional contexts, that's really our role sometimes, not to do so out of a place of disdain. I think that that can happen a lot in the CRC, where kind of the 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 liberal pastor parachutes into a town, <laughs> and he's going to fix all these 
backwards thinking, you know, Republican conservative type people. That happens a lot in the CRC. I've seen it happen um, quite a few times, actually. Um, And so I have a love for these people. Um, Now, after seven years, hopefully I've built up some um, reputation as somebody who truly cares, even somebody who is politically conservative and, and theologically traditional. And so I'm hoping that they could hear maybe four hours a day of Fox News is not good for your soul. Um, but what would be better is spending more time with R.C. Sproul and with all of the great resources we have on YouTube to um, to grow in faith, to, to pick up a book, to pick up The Wonderful Works of God by Bavink, or to listen to a Lloyd-Jones sermon. There are so many good things that we could be filling our minds with. Why do we go that route that just makes us angry at the end of the day? Yeah, amen. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna kind of, we're we're starting to come toward the end of our of our podcast, and I want to talk a little bit about um, where you see us at right now in the CRC, and and what thoughts you have on um, where we need to head as a denomination, or things that maybe we need to be doing to help to help our denomination remain faithful to God's word, and and to remain. Um, I would say doxological, like, like Bavink in, in our denomination. Yeah. Like I, I mentioned briefly, there's a lot of fear in the Christian reformed church. Um, and, uh, what is the constant command of, um, of the scriptures? Do not be afraid. Right. I think, um, praise the Lord is the most common. And then I think the number two is do not be afraid. Um, so those two things go together, don't they? Um, but just to, I think when fear sets in, we're going to turn to other avenues of, of for solutions than, than Christ himself and the word of God. Um, and again, that's probably in both camps, the traditional and the progressive camp. Um, when fear sets in, then, um, you know, we've got to, we've got, we've got to, get more power in the central um, institutions of the Christian Reformed Church. And so that's where it has to come from to, to kind of set the course right. I, I don't think that's actually in the solution for the Christian Reformed Church um, nearly as much as local churches who are full of the joy of the Lord, who hear the word of God every week. I think it's more of a small scale solution. Um just a bunch of people being faithful and pastors preaching the gospel week after week, then it is kind of a, a broad swooping solution. Um, Synod 2022 was a really good step in a, in a good direction, I would say. But I think anybody would be naive to say, well, that's, that's just solved it. You know, we're, we're just going to move forward and and it's all smooth sailing from here. I think we've definitely found that not to be the case. And so we shouldn't think that Synod 2023 or the hiring of just the right person in a denominational ministry will be a part of that that solution for our fear. Um, I think that it's it just has a lot more to do with faithful, simple ministry in a local church. Um, and but maybe additionally, I would say, as uh, as leaders in the Christian Reformed Church, I, I do think we need to get more serious about who is given a voice and who is um, really leading in the Christian Reformed Church, I, I, I would always hope that they are those historic, confessional, um, Christ-exalting 
unashamed proclaimers of God's word who are leading, who are writing articles in the banner and who are um, pointing us in really a direction of whether that's at the seminary or Calvin University or as a denomination. Um, it should just, there should just be no doubt in our mind. This person is a faithful believer of Christ and loves the word of God, every word of it, and is, is just going to follow God's will, come what may. Um, I think that the, the, those are the kinds of people that we always need to be putting in positions of leadership. There should be no doubt that that any leader in the Christian Reformed Church is um, is an enthusiastic supporter of the Canons of Dort, for example, or of the Heidelberg Catechism, or um, or writes and thinks in such a way that that sounds and resonates with John Kelvin and Herman Bovink. Um, I think that that's at times one of my discouragements, if I'm going to be honest, that that some of the articles that I read sound nothing like anything Bovink would write or John Calvin would write. I think David Fettis actually mentioned this in his episode a long time ago, where, where there's a tone and a tenor of Reformed thinking and Reformed theology that just has such an absolutely high view of God and a high view of the Word of God. And um, a lot of times I'm just disappointed when I read um you know, answers to questions in the banner um, that people are having about maybe what they're going through in life. And and often it's a more of a human approach, um, maybe a more philosophical approach. Um, we love our academics in the Christian Reformed Church. And so it's often a, a, a appeal to general revelation, which can be good and has its place. But I, I would just love for us to move in a, in a direction as a denomination where um, from every pulpit um, there is just in uh, such a high view of Christ, of his of his death and resurrection, and uh, and of what that means for the life of the minister who's preaching, that um, that that's how the sheep are fed. You know, um, that that that's the food the sheep are, are regularly fed week after week. Unfortunately, there's a lot of times when when what I read or what I listen to just doesn't sound anything like anything John Calvin would write or like what Herman Bovink would write or ex- expanding, you know, into Spurgeon and, and Edwards and, and some of these other reformed luminaries would, uh, would communicate. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? I, I always like to ask that why question, like how do, how did we get, how do you think we've gotten to that point where it almost, it seems trendy to speak like we don't really appreciate reformed theology or our, or our reformed history in the Christian Reformed Church, I, I think that that there's probably a lot of that happening in um, in the Christian Reformed Church, where uh, and I think this is shown a lot through, for example, the Office of Social Justice's ministry. I I don't get the sense they're reading John Calvin and Herman Bovink as a part of their ministry, um, but but listening to maybe other voices who who have perhaps even some really good things to say. But there's a tone and a tenor to um, the centrality of God for everything that we do. Um, social justice work, world renew, um, training pastors, um, the the you know back to God ministries. Everything is is wrapped up in the means of grace and in the message of Christ of the gospel itself. Um, that's that's always what I'm hoping for when I when I um, listen to something that's been produced in the Christian Reformed Church, just an unashamed enthusiasm, not not for Reformed theology per se, but for the glory of God. And so um, I know that you talk with a lot of 
people you interview about what it means to be reformed. I think that's really core to where we're, how we're going to move forward as a, as a denomination. And um, I think it's right there in um, it's in, you know, it's in the book of Romans, Romans 11. What does it mean to be reformed? Um, That all things are from him, through him and to him and to God be the glory forever. Uh, It's, it's the glory of God. And that's, that's the umbrella over which we have salvation and even before that creation and the word of God points to the glory of God and all the things that we do loving our neighbor points to the glory of God if it's done in a way that pleases him. And so um, getting to that core of reformed um, identity, I actually, (laughs) I'll go on the record. I don't like the term reformed accent. I don't like it Um, because and and uh, I think the reason is that, well, we say covenant every once in a while. We say sovereignty every once in a while. Um, we talk about these confessions every once in a while. Um, but um, it, it's sort of like this is just a little part of, of who we are as Reformed ministers or, or as Reformed Christians. Um, no, I, I would say to be Reformed is to be to live a doxological glory of God existence. Yes. Um, and, and it's at the core of Calvin's theology, Bobbing's theology, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, the Canons of Dort, especially, I would say. Um, and so that's what we've got to be pointing our people to, is to, to glorify God. Yeah, amen. I think uh, just as you were saying all of that, I think um, fear comes in underneath a lot of that. I, I see just in our in our denomination, um, I, I've said before on this podcast that I feel like we've kind of drifted away from this reformed accent, whatever. I don't like reformed accent either, but um, we've, it's become trendy to, to kind of uh, tone down our reformed heritage because we've tried to embrace this Kyperianism without the antithesis. We, mm-hmm. we want to engage the world. Um, and I think we're afraid that if we tone up our reformed core identity, that we won't be taken seriously by the world. And so we feel like we have to tone it down and pretend like, well, this is just a little bit of who we are. We are really kind of like you guys. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and so we want to be taken seriously by the academics and by the world. And so we try to just hide our heritage. You kind of become like everybody else. And, and I think that's all fear-based. And, uh, and I think you're, you're right on the money. We have to, um, and, and it's so non-Kyperian. I just think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of a, Kipe, a biography on Kuiper right now. And Kuiper just unashamedly said, the only way to function in the world is Calvinism. <laughs> That's yeah. the only true way to function governmentally. Everything is Calvinism and reformed identity. This is the core of who we are. And, uh, because and so, it's true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. It's part of reality. It's part of who God is and who we are. And, uh, and the reality is, embracing that and just being honest about that. This is who we are. This is how we interact in the world. Doesn't tear down. Like it doesn't put up walls actually. It's just Mm -hmm. allows us to interact truthfully with one another. Here's where I am. And I think I'm right. And that's okay. Now let's talk about who you are and why you think you're right. And then now let's interact on that rather than trying to drop everything to the lowest common denominator. I actually think when we just stand where we are, and speak truthfully to one another, then we can actually move forward and have more helpful conversations. Yeah, um, to to give another example of how this looks in practice, um, during 
candidacy exams. Um, those questions always come up. What does it mean to be reformed? Um, talk, talk about covenant theology. Um, I I would expect that every person coming to the, the candidacy that's at that point in their candidacy is going to know Genesis 12 and uh, God's covenant with with David. And, and so I'm a little bit less interested in, can they say those buzzwords, sovereignty, covenant? I'm way more interested in, is this a sinner in awe of the grace of God? Yeah. Just in absolute awe. That's reformed theology. Mm-hmm. Total depravity that is <laughs> completely overcome by his irresistible grace for us. Um, and so, again, even those are some buzzwords that I even threw out. But um, I'm more interested in the heart and how that connects to the head. And I've, I've seen so many candidacy exams where somebody said the right buzzwords. They knew how to pass the test, but but didn't really have a reformed awe of God or a reformed understanding of the word of God in particular. And so the ministry became something very different very quickly after that um, kind of initial exam process. But um, that's always what I'm hoping for. And, you know, I've heard a lot of good exams, too, where it is very clear, um, especially from from people who have been in ministry for a while. um, And then they come to their exam process, maybe after an Article 23 being replaced by an Article 6 for them. And they just say, wow, I am a sinner and I'm amazed that God would use me. A, a, a jar of clay uh, to 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 carry some good thing, some good message to people who are um, who are otherwise dying, you know. And so, I, I think that's where we we go as a denomination. It isn't necessarily in like an evangelical conservative direction. That's not really what I'm interested in nearly as much as um, walking in the old paths of of the, the confessions and the Reformation in a maybe um, into a new place. Where, where God would, would lead us as a denomination. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent agree. I think the way forward is not for us to try to water anything down, yeah. but to stand firm on this is who we are. This is what we believe. Come and see the beauty and the joy of what we of of the God that we can show you for sure. sure. I, I want to just give you the opportunity as we wrap up, what, what kind of final words do you have to say? We've got, pastors and office bearers and lay people that all listen to this podcast, what kind of final words of encouragement do you want to give them? Don't give up, you know, um, uh, like it, it says Romans 12, do not be lacking in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Um, that's, uh, that was my passage for, for my Spurgeon sermon a couple weeks ago. And, and I think, um, fill your minds and fill your hearts with, with doxological preaching and with doxological work. And maybe, maybe for those who are a little bit less theologically inclined to listen, that that just means uh, preaching and, and books that exalt God, that um, the doxology is praise God from whom all blessings flow. Right. Um, is just a, a real joy in who God is, who he's revealed himself to be in his word and in the world through general revelation as well. But um continue finding those those people who really make your uh make you worship um who who draw you into the presence of god um maybe maybe i'll even finish with a quote from jay gresham machin that i found um that that describes how things can go wrong but it also describes um, a good a good minister as well he said weary with the conflicts of the world 
One goes into the church to seek refreshment for the soul. And what does one find? Alas, too often one finds only the turmoil of the world. The preacher comes forward not out of a secret place of meditation and power, not with the authority of God's word permeating his message, not with the human wisdom pushed far into the background by the glory of the cross, but with human opinions about the social problems of the hour or easy solutions to the vast problem of sin. And thus the warfare of the world has entered even the house of God, and sad indeed is the heart of the man who has come seeking peace. And so it's really to offer them the opposite, to, to offer them the, the real gospel, unfiltered, <laughs> the word of God and uh, you know, the message of Christ. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for our conversation with Jesse Walhoff. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. <laughs>